Hi, and welcome to the second season of the Warfare in Conversation podcast. This time, I'm joined by friends who, in relaxed conversation, will walk us through spells of creativity, hardship, and what it takes to live a fulfilled life. As always, my deepest thanks extend to everyone who supports Warfare, both on and offline, through purchasing the fruits of my own creativity and of all the incredible Warfare artists. And for now, enjoy the episode. For today's episode, I am joined by Catalina. Catalina is heading the French department at the University College School London and is a French and Spanish teacher. She enjoys anything and everything covering French and Hispanic culture, language, food and more. Catalina is my older sister who has walked with me through life and is my best friend and supporter. In today's episode, we discuss all that unites us and where we differ, discovering what it means to live a fulfilled life. Very special conversation for me personally, so I hope you will enjoy this special episode. Catalina, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Given that you're my sister, I thought we would go right all the way back to our childhood to begin this conversation. And I wanted to ask you a question that I always kind of wondered, and I think many of these questions will be questions that I've never really asked you, and it's quite interesting. Um, for me. So to begin with, I wonder if you have a favorite childhood memory or perhaps a memory that's stuck with you throughout your life and maybe helped you in some ways navigating your life. Okay, so you've already asked me that question a couple of times because like it started, <laughs> you couldn't quite <laughs> make a start on this recording. And my initial thought was I don't really have that one single memory from when I was a child, but somehow there is that one thing that keeps coming back to me every time you ask me that question. And I don't know if you remember this because you're part of that memory. Um, it was a trip that we uh, made with our parents to the mountains in Poland. Now, I don't actually remember any of that day. I only remember it from the pictures. And I, I have actually, I think I still have it in my purse, a picture of the four of us. Um, both of us very small um, in front of the mountains and I remember there is another picture from that day um, from where you were where you were eating your McDonald's I don't know if you recall <laughs> anything like that whatsoever but for some reason that keeps to be or keeps being that kind of one and the same thing that keeps coming back every time you ask me that question okay interesting I I remember it through pictures so that's an interesting thought how much do we remember as children? How, do we, how much do we really remember and how much do we remember for stories, yeah. pictures and whatnot? Yeah. Um, I mean, one of my funny memories that I think keeps reoccurring is, um, you've mentioned food and you mentioned McDonald's, how we used to always share food. <laughs> or how I used to eat your food. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So for the context of this spot is that I was a very picky eater and you were the opposite, I and would I say. And I was a hoover. And you were the hoover. <laughs> I even looked like a hoover, for those of you who know what I look like today. I am a very different person physically from what I used to be when I was a child. Indeed. And I used to eat August lunches when she didn't quite want to eat them. Yeah, but we were a good team. Because um, mother went to waste. Mother was happy, nothing went to waste. <laughs> So thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. I always loved food. So. 
<laughs> Lovely. Um, well, this ties us on really well to my next question, which is, I am, I am a younger sister, and I know what it's like to have an older sister. We are just the two of us. And I always wondered what it's like for you to be an older sister. That's an interesting question. And I think most people think that as an older sibling, you set an example to your younger siblings. And I think you have always considered me as an example for you. And you always did your very best not to fall short of what I did and make sure that you do at the very least what I managed to, to do. But I actually always, or at least as an adult, I consider you as a role model for me as well. Because there is so much that you do that I would like to be able to do. Or um, simply, you inspire me with what you do to, to just for myself be the best version of myself as well. Um, so I think in that sense, you know, I think I, to some extent I have always felt maybe kind of responsible for you because you were the younger one. But equally, we have gone through so much together, like moving to a foreign country at a very early age, and we were kind of just stuck together at all, at all times. Um, we always got on together before then and, and during that period and then after that period, which I think is very lucky. Um, the age difference isn't that big either. And I think all of that um, kind of helped in me never really necessarily feeling like the actual older sister who you know even though maybe i had a little bit of responsibility towards you and i think more so when i was older and again kind of in my adulthood rather than when we were teenagers it was always really cool that we were doing things together and you know we learned english together i will never forget these moments when we were kind of um, watching a film and taking vocab, notes of vocab, and then we would test one another on, on that vocab. And we would uh, share so much together. Even though I was just over two years older than you, because we were going through so much together at the same time, it didn't really feel like I was older than you. I hope that kind of That's interesting. <laughs> In and of itself, I think it's interesting to learn that um we're equals um and we i think yeah i mean i'll mirror what you said in terms of inspiration and and uh yeah in a way for me it has always i was always those two steps back uh, in the sense of i am two years older um, i'm two years younger you're two years older and uh so naturally i took steps a little bit later than you did and you were the one to sort of go out in the trenches and, and open those paths for me in a way, given that we also come from a background where, you know, our parents didn't go to university and these kind of things. So it was interesting for me, for you, well, to, to, to experience certain things before I experienced them. Yeah, but actually, for example, the fact that I was the first one in our immediate family to, to go to university, um, because it was a new thing for all of us in the family, it didn't feel like I was on my own kind of going through that step and and you will be following in my steps later on. We were, the four of us actually, very much in it together and I might have been the first one to start to explore things, but I would always share those experiences with you and 
very often we'll be taking decisions together for me and mm-hmm. um, which again I think helped in not in me not necessarily feeling like I am the older sister you have said this to me before that that I kind of showed you different things because I did them first and then you kind of went and, and did them again but I actually I think if you hadn't told me that I would have never seen it that way mm. interesting okay um, two things come to mind. One thing is this idea that I think a lot of people think that we're very similar. Mm. What's your take on that? I think we are. We've got a lot in common. Mm. I think the fact that we had always been very close and um, experienced so much together, big things mm. that not necessarily every teenager in the world experiences, that helped us to... Um, you know, to develop similar interests, um, to have similar views on, on a lot of different topics. We've got very similar styles, but then again, we are different. And I think the older we get, the more I see it. And that's not to say that we are drifting apart, mm. but I personally see it more and I kind of celebrate it as well. Mm. Because I think a lot of people used to think that we were so similar that we kind of almost I think we really were almost like one, basically. One person. <laughs> That's exactly what I was I mean, thinking. Wherever, wherever I was invited, you were always there with me. Wherever you were invited, mm-hmm. I was always there with you, etc., etc. But I think, you know, when I moved out and, um, and started living my own life, if, if I can say that, um, and then you moved out from our parents' house and you started living your own adult life, etc., it... I think it became clear that we are different and, and even though there are still a lot of similarities, we do have different views on different topics, we do certain things differently and um, I mean even just as simple as clothes, um, mm. we, we still dress very similarly. I think you like what I wear <laughs> and I definitely like what you wear but there are certainly differences, you yeah. know? Well, I think it, what's really interesting to observe is that I think in the context that we were in given we moved you know from one country to another and we had to settle and we were treated by our parents very similarly you know whatever one did the other Mm. one did or one whatever one had the other one had and I felt like that set a standard for for us and then as you say as we um, left that um, environment uh, we were able to have enough freedom to choose for ourselves and I think almost courage to just become who we really are and no, I feel absolutely, like yeah. with every single every passing year we are becoming more and more true to ourselves true to the core that we, yeah, are, we have yeah to what the individuals actually want to be I guess mm-hmm. yeah that does make sense yeah which is fun <laughs> it's a fun process and then on top of that I wonder, once someone's asked me if I feel like you are more mature than I am, you know, that dynamic there, who is more mature, um, because I feel like a lot of people see us both as quite mature, um, but for instance, a lot of my friends, a lot of the people around me, a lot of people that know us both, they would definitely say that you're the more mature one. <laughs> I wonder what you, because it's interesting what you said before as well, given that we're at the stage where now we both sort of inspire each other and we're almost at the same level doing different things but you know um still kind of as equals but yeah I get I wonder if you have thoughts 
yeah, I think maybe people might think that I'm more mature because I'm older. And I am definitely mature. And I don't know if mature is the same thing as responsible. I, mm-hmm. I guess I see it like that as well. And um, yeah, I mean, I am a teacher. <laughs> That's a pretty responsible job. Um, and I do consider myself as, you know, mature and responsible. But I do live a little bit on the cloud as well. Mm. And I have always lived on the cloud at the same time. <laughs> and I can be very silly. And, you know, I like to do things kind of in order and plan and all that stuff. But there is equally a lot of stuff that I forget or, you know, just act like super silly. And I, think, <laughs> I think, again, people who really know me, they will probably say that I can be the silly one in the group mm. like that little child mm. it's almost like Monday to Friday I do need to be you know responsible and it's not like I'm a you know just a boring super strict <laughs> teacher I do try to have fun with the kids but at the end of the day you know you've, you've got that responsibility over their learning and all that kind of stuff so when I kind of go home in the evening or at the weekends or during summer, I want to be the child and I want somebody to take care of me and I just want somebody to do the planning for me and mm-hmm. and I just want to not be mature and responsible for a while. Yeah, that's interesting. I also think that there are different le- well, different dimensions of to maturity and we can be mature in one thing and then quite immature in another thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think the last sort of two years maybe uh, had elevated both of us in terms of emotional maturity, I think. Um, which, um, yeah, it's an interesting observation, you know, what it means to be emotionally mature, um, what it means to have mature relationships uh, between friends, between family, between even us and whatnot. So, yeah, that's that's all here. <laughs> I don't think I actually even said or answered that at the initial question, though. Who out from, yeah, from the two of us is more I mature? Mean, yeah, well, I don't know. Can you sum it up, given that there are different dimensions into maturity? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, then probably maybe not, actually. Mm-hmm. I, do, I do consider you as a very mature person, though. And I think, again, the older we get, the more mature I see you mm-hmm. and the more serious I see you. And not even just actually in your in your line of work, if you like, but actually in, in other spheres of life as well. And Interesting. <laughs> I guess, yeah, again, considering, you know, there is so many levels to it and, and all these different things to consider. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you know what's interesting here is that we're set in your classroom and I don't think I've ever seen you as mature as I see you right now in this <laughs> setting. Um, and I don't think you really see me in my work environment either, which, again, I think will bring it a new dimension. To... Yeah, I mean, that is a very interesting point. I remember um, observing my husband working from home for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was like a game changer. You know, you know, Juan, you know that he is a clown <laughs> in his private life. Um, he's the one who always entertains everyone and, and all that stuff. But it was incredible to see him mm-hmm. in action at work. It's like a completely different person. Yeah, no, that's that's true. So yeah, I can see where that might be yeah. from <laughs> with my lanyard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, well, given that I did mention already we are in your classroom, you're a French and Spanish teacher. Um, I wanted to, again, kind of throw it back a little bit to the time where you found this purpose for, well, maybe first of all, it was a passion for languages and then the purpose for your life being a teacher. Can you walk us through how you arrived at that purpose and those passions and how you actually married the two and, and became who you are today professionally? It was actually teaching that was my passion first before languages. Oh gosh, really? <laughs> Although, or maybe more, more than French and Spanish, mm -hmm. because when we were in Poland, I had German lessons and I had English lessons a little bit later on. The German lessons I never enjoyed for a number of different reasons. Um, but the English lessons I always loved, and I always loved uh, Polish, as in we obviously did kind of literature and all that stuff. And I don't know if you remember this, but I do remember it very vividly, where I would be teaching you and our younger cousin mm -hmm. what I would have learned in my English lessons. And I would just sit you there. I literally can see the scene in front of me in our granny's uh, second room. The one with the balcony. Yeah, you were always a little bit of a boss. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this idea of, I just, I, I still remember when, and I'm, I'm, I must have been, I don't know, eight or something. Ten, maximum. And I just remember always really being really keen to share something I had just learned at school with other people. And I always liked the idea of kind of some, somebody sitting in front of me and listening to what I had to say and, and quizzing them on it and all that kind of stuff. And then later on, I would, again, I would use you and our cousin. I remember when we already moved to Scotland, I would do the same thing, but with teddy bears. Um, so when we were in Poland, I wanted to already be a teacher of English. I wanted to be, teach English to Polish kids later on. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I would move to Scotland and also learn French and then Spanish. But yes, when I, when I started doing French, actually, it's a story I, I tell my students nowadays a lot because they very often think, oh, I'm terrible at French, I'll never get good at it. And I, you know, I said, and well, I was terrible at French first because when I started doing French in a Scottish school, I, I didn't even speak English. So my books, if I could find them again, they're probably somewhere there. Um, <clears throat> they have the French term, the English term, and I would have to go home and add the Polish term because I had no idea what I had written in my book initially. Mm. Um, so French was really hard for me at first. I wasn't necessarily enjoying it. Um, I do remember enjoying uh, the fact that there were some words between French and Polish that were similar, and so the teacher would sometimes... I still remember one specific word, krawat. What does that mean? Time. That's it. <laughs> um, because in Polish it's krawat. And I remember the teacher asking if anyone knew what that word means. And I would raise my hand and she would ask me. And I, and I looked at her and I was like, I actually don't know how to say it in English. <laughs> I know what it means because of Polish. That's insane. <laughs> um, so then I was very, always very quiet in lessons. And well, I was quiet before I learned English. <laughs> mm. And I remember my, my then French teacher um, asked me if maybe I wanted to try to go to the higher class because we had leveled uh, classes. And I said to her, well, maybe not because my French is really not that good. I'm still trying to learn English. 
Um, and she said, yeah, but you're very quiet in this class. And maybe you, you, you give it a go and you see how it goes. And so I went. That same day we had a test. We marked the test there and then. And everyone around me got 9 or 10 out of 10 for that vocab test. Okay, fair enough, maybe I didn't actually know that I had a test, so, you know. But still, I got 2 out of 10 and I felt so embarrassed. I looked around and I thought, my gosh, all of these kids are so smart. They're in their top set in French. They're getting 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10 for their vocab test. And I'm here too, and I, you know, I covered that piece of paper and I felt so embarrassed. And that night I went home and I learned that vocab inside out and I did that with every single vocab from then on. Mm. And I just simply got very good at French. And because I was getting better at it, I started enjoying these lessons. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why it's a story I tell my students nowadays where, you know, they, they will say, oh, but I'm bad at French, so I'm not enjoying it. And, and I'll say, yeah, you're not enjoying it because you're not putting in the effort potentially. Mm-hmm. You know, I do believe that there is that kind of 50% of talent, 50% of work. And, you know, maybe I, that's how I, I, I found that I had some sort of talent for languages because I, I probably do, because they do come quite easy to me. But of course, there is that effort as well. It doesn't just come from, from nowhere either. I read somewhere that it's 95% work, 5% talent. That's interesting. <laughs> that's very I, interesting. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how scientific that is and where that came from it's there in my hand um but certainly i think too um there's like a almost like a little flare like a little something and then you need to light it up and you you need to present all that work to to become at a level where you're proficient but i think yeah i think it's like this snowball effect you start rolling and then it becomes a big thing in you in a very capitalistic way i am a strong believer of you can achieve pretty much anything as long as you put the effort into doing it Mm -hmm. and I think I believe it because that's what that that was my experience Mm -hmm. you know we had very little we didn't have the the opportunities that a lot of other people have and yet I managed to push myself and maybe because I didn't have any high standards on me maybe that helped there was Mm -hmm. no pressure Mm -hmm. um and I just kind of went along with what I ended up feeling like I was good at and, and started enjoying it. So that's when my, my passion for French started. And, you know, when I started feeling like I'm actually getting really good at it, I fell in love with the language. And today, my Spanish is probably better than my French, unfortunately, because it's still my absolute favorite language out of all. Mm-hmm. And teaching is just the perfect combination of, you know, well, I always wanted to be a teacher, you could tell. And then this passion for languages and, and kind of, I think the fact that we moved from one country to a, a, a different country at the end of the day, you know, the cultures aren't completely different, but they are different. That kind of instilled in me this, this almost hunger for understanding the world a little bit better. And we were exposed, you know, from living in a country where everyone is white, 99.9% of people are Catholic, practicing Catholic, moving to a country where suddenly you go to school with basically people from every country from the world, mm. and where you are uh, meeting people with, um, from religions, from, or from very different religions as well, and very different cultures. And or no religion. 
yeah and and living together i i thought that was amazing mm. and teaching languages allows me to show the younger you know generations that it is a pretty incredible thing that all of this exists on the same planet so yeah, yeah. teaching is great interesting <laughs> um i guess you you've given us quite a few childhood memories and your favorite childhood memories right now so that's really fun <laughs> um i wanted to kind of zoom out a little bit from your personal experience teaching and ask you about some of the challenges you see in education today i mean we're going to be contextual probably within the uk but are there any challenges that you are maybe frustrated with and then on the other side are there any opportunities that you see i try to see them more as opportunities than mm. frustration again this is me living on cloud nine a little bit but i really try i i am a very positive person naturally mm -hmm. and so it's difficult teaching today is difficult teaching today in 2023 is more difficult than it was when i started six years ago which is absolutely mad it's only been six years i mean six years what is that that's nothing What? and it has already changed so much and one of the main reasons is technology mm -hmm. um when i first thought about teaching and i was about eight years old <laughs> technology was not even in the equation I remember in our primary school in Poland, we had one ICT lesson or IT lesson, however they called it, computer, whatever, mm -hmm. um, a week, mm -hmm. and where we had to share the computer with another person. Today, you know, 20 years later, every child has their own device and we are um, prompted to use these devices in our lessons. And that isn't easy. You know, behavior issues, of course, when you've got 24 of 11 year olds on their computers, mm -hmm. teachers tend to stand at the front of the lesson. Suddenly we are teaching from the back of the uh, classroom mm. so that we're able to see if everybody is, you know, where they should be. Where, of course, the most important thing about teaching is the safety and the safeguarding of these children. So we need to make sure that they're not going on any signs where they shouldn't be going and, and being vigilant uh, with that. At the same time, as a French-Spanish teacher, my interest is, of course, to make sure that I'm actually teaching French and Spanish. And when there is Wi-Fi connection issue uh, or, you know, kids being kids, they don't quite follow the instructions. So everything is taking long, much mm. longer than simply opening the textbook. Um, that is, you know, problematic, I guess you could say. It, it's not easy, let's put it that way. It's challenging. It requires an extra level of patience and, you know, teenagers require patience. And here you've got an extra level of patience that is required because you plan a lesson and then again, the internet isn't working or somebody's laptop isn't charged or there is five students for whom, for whatever reason, they just simply can't log in. And so, you know, and if a lesson is only so, sh so long, you kind of feel like you're maybe wasting your time. And again, it's just, it requires that extra level of patience. Um, with technology, especially this past year, we as teachers are trying to understand where AI is going to take us mm -hmm. and how we're going to work alongside AI. 
because we can't quite just ignore it. No. We're trying to, at the end of the day, we're trying to educate the next generations, so we need to be mindful of the fact that the world is progressing and we cannot stay behind. And, you know, so all of this is happening as we're, you know, still trying to learn how to actually navigate in, in this chaos. And then at the same time, I think teenagers today have got it a little bit tougher than even when we were teenagers. Because for teenagers, it's always been tough to simply be a teenager. There's hormones, all these different changes to their bodies, to their thoughts, you know, their emotions that still is an existing problem and it's you know a problem it's it's something that we have to deal with and teachers have to deal with as well you know mm. it, you can't just be a french teacher you've, you've got to think about these things as well on top of that today again you've got the whole idea of technology and how that's impacting their life simple things as their sleep mm -hmm. and then of course their future and how the technology will impact their future and you know they're questioning where will I end up if technology will potentially take the job I'm, I'm aspiring to be in? Um, or what skills will I need if their technology is there and a few years ago you didn't need these skills because technology wasn't there? And then on top of that, you've got issues such as global warming. And I feel that the young people of today are very aware of these very serious issues. And that's, again, only adding to their stress. And again we have to help them deal with that stress and we're trying to help them navigate it and balance it you know and help them understand yes it's it's stressful help them be realistic that this is real and it will happen and you are the next people to to deal with it mm. but at the same time just kind of tell them it's just it's okay you're just a child you know mm. So there is a lot of challenges now that didn't exist, like I say, even six years ago, and let alone you mm -hmm. know, farther down the line. When I was a teenager, a lot of these things weren't a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I read somewhere that the Gen Zs are the most anxious and depressed generation, <laughs> which, yeah, I mean, kind of summarizes what you just said. I think said. on a yearly basis we're seeing that. I think it would be important to instill... Um, a feeling of agency, a feeling of power to those kids, you know, that, yeah, there are challenges and there will be always challenges and there might be different five years down the line, but that they have that power agency to um, overcome them. Yeah, you know, if, if I haven't mentioned COVID. <laughs> We're mm. still seeing the effects of COVID. But COVID has taught, I think, hopefully has taught us flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I think flexibility will be key for all of us in the future and especially for the young people in the future because the world is changing so rapidly. It's been changing quickly for decades now, but the last few years it's just accelerated mm -hmm. on, you know, onto a whole new level. And again, just as an example, some of these kids will be doing jobs we have no idea or don't even that don't even exist at this point that is incredible and so how are we as teachers preparing them for these jobs how are we supposed to know what jobs are going to exist if they don't exist today you know and of course we are aging 
Mm. I'm still fairly young, right? And and I'm still, you know, I've got 40 more years here left in this teaching if, if God gives them to me. But um but at the end of the day, we are aging and and for some, you know, the older teachers, it isn't easy mm. to not use a textbook. It's as you know, things as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Let alone all, all these other things that we're trying to implement because they are needed in this in this in this world which is changing. So, again, there is so many different challenges really that education is is um, facing. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, or actually important to mention, that at the same time, the economic challenges are still there. And the, the, the differences in social backgrounds and again, even just COVID, you know, suddenly we're all kind of celebrating technology and we're grateful for technology during times such as COVID. But there are people in this country who don't have internet, who don't have computers, mm-hmm. and yet they're expected to join their lessons, mm-hmm. you know, um, online. Yeah, I think uh, infrastructure is really important on the kind of country level, um, thinking about, you know, the buildings, the facilities available, but as you say, also the the tools that are available to students and making sure that it's readily available across classes and, and backgrounds and making everyone included into that learning opportunity. Giving everyone exactly the same mm. opportunities. I personally feel that I personally feel extremely grateful for the opportunities that the UK has given us because mm. we don't come from um, a rich background and the government has allowed us to join you know, the same system as everyone else and has allowed us to, uh, to make the most of that system and has allowed us to learn and to, you could say, succeed. You know, by success, I mean... Just make the most of it, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully the government will find ways to, to encourage young people to make the most of the different opportunities they've got at hand. Because unfortunately, not all teenagers know how to make the most of opportunities. They might be there. But they simply might not know they're there and they might not know how to actually get on with that. And I think that is the, actually the biggest, um, and that's not a new challenge, that, no. that's a challenge that has always been there. It's not necessarily a challenge, but a very important role for teachers to, to remember, to encourage their students, not just to, you know, the, the basic stuff, you need to be here on time, you need to complete your homework, because you need to pass your exams, but actually explain to them why all of these things matter so that they understand that doing these things will help them get into a better position for, for their adulthood, which at the end of the day lasts a lot of years. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. No, I think just to summarize, I think as you, as you mentioned, it's important what the government does, but it's also important what we do um, someone who's an outsider as well from the education system but we're part of the society so we need to make sure we um, encourage the young people young students to take the most of these opportunities right because in, in, I think at the, at the end of the day you don't need that much you know it's 
you you just need the bare minimum from an education system because as we say we have um information is abundant we we you know we can learn anything at any time so it, i think it's almost driving um curiosity for among students would absolutely. be important absolutely and also because we're not all the same and some young people have it within them and they will not need anyone mm -hmm. telling them to do these things they will just naturally go and do them mm -hmm. it might be because that's the examples they've had at home maybe they had the opposite examples and somehow that have driven mm -hmm. them to do these things you know the reasons are different but a lot of teenagers need that prompting and it doesn't matter almost from the background they mm. come from yeah a lot of the times yeah they just don't realize that instead of sitting on tiktok they could be instead watching i don't know a french film and that way learning something in french something about the culture that's just of course an example it mm. could be so many different things there's so many different things that one can learn But it is, you know, up to adults and, of course, teachers, anyone who's in education above anybody else to, to lead by example as well, I think, is really important and to prompt and to keep them responsible for what they do as well. Mm -hmm. I wanted to move out of the education uh, stream path discussion um, and... I mean, yeah, I would like to say something more fun, but actually quite a depressing question is a, is a question of are there any lessons or maybe perhaps one lesson that you had to learn the hard way in your life so far? A few. Mm -hmm. A few big lessons. Um, and they were difficult, the proper hard way, but I'm actually very grateful for them. Mm-hmm. There are still things happening in my life that I haven't quite figured out. Um, so I don't see them as something that has already concluded. And so I, I'm not quite going to use them as my lessons because mm -hmm. I haven't reached that final lesson yet, I don't think. Mm -hmm. But there have been things in my life that um, kind of really put me straight in position. And, and the reason why I'm saying I'm grateful for them Because even though in the moment, you know, there were a lot of tears, there was a lot of pain, emotional, physical and all that stuff. And it might have felt like the end of the world. I'm actually very grateful for them because they taught me who I want to be. Mm. How I want to be with others, most importantly. And I think above anything else my relationship with my husband today wouldn't be what it is and it would have been much more negative than it is if I didn't learn these lessons the hard way and we have a very good relationship and I think all that pain that I might have gone through at some point in my life earlier is so worth it Because I'm not repeating the same mistakes again. Because I've learned from these lessons mm -hmm. what I wanted to learn, what I needed to learn more than anything. Mm. And now I can just enjoy it. Can you give us some examples of these lessons? I mean, 
human relationships mm -hmm. is 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 one thing. I am somebody who obviously I'm, I'm surrounded by people every single day. Uh, I am somebody who naturally likes being with people as well, but being with people is difficult. Everybody is so different. And for somebody who has strong ideas about you know how life should be and how I want it to be, etc., it's not necessarily always easy to, to accept that other people are different. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I've always been interested in those differences and especially ever since I think, again, we moved to Scotland, I've always been interested in, um, in why people will be different, kind of based on their cultures, etc, etc. So it's always been interesting for me to, um, yeah, to learn about the human, if you like. And so these different experiences in my life have allowed me to, to better understand that, that, that simple fact that we are all different mm -hmm. and we need to accept it and we don't need to be friends with everyone. Mm. We shouldn't be enemies with anyone. And yeah, just kind of just that really. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I mean, I have the advantage of knowing the questions ahead of time and I thought about it for a long time and I think a lot of the different smaller bigger lessons that I've gone through can come under this idea that at the end of the day you are alone, you know, yeah. you are on a single path of yours and then people come into your life, they come out of your life, um, things happen you know, if you break a leg or whatever else happens in your life, you move to a different country or whatever. Um, but at the same, but at, with all of these things happening, you are on that path alone. Yeah. And um, yeah, I feel like that's kind of the key takeaway for me is that um, life is this kind of single player game. But then again, uh, when I thought about it even more deeply is what would a multiplayer game look like? And in my, um, in my mind, it feels like kind of not really doing anything for anyone else to impress other people, you know, to play those silly games that people tend to play. Just kind of focus on what you want to do, who you want to be, and accept that other people are different. And I think that kind of all ties in together. Um, yeah, I think, um, I remember you sending me a video about this kind of... Mm. Um, the only person you ever really be with is yourself. Yeah. And I absolutely agree with that. It's a very, you know, harsh... It's a harsh reality. Reality to accept. But I think it's, it's true. Um, yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, think back five years ago. Who was in your life? How many of these people are still in your life? Mm. A lot of them will be. But equally, there will be people who no longer are there. And they're not there for various reasons. And... At the end of the day, you know, for example, now I share my life with my husband, but, you know, I tell him a lot about what happens in my day, even, etc. But at the end of the day, he doesn't experience what I experience. And mm -hmm. even if he did, he probably wouldn't experience it in the same way. So, and, as, and then when you start thinking, you know, about 
physical pain. You know, nobody will ever experience the physical pain you experience. Even if you have, say, a, a disease that somebody else has, you, nobody will ever actually be able to experience it in the same way. So you are really there with yourself throughout this journey. Somewhere recently, I don't remember where it was, it was a video or I read it or I heard it from somewhere, that we are on a train, that our life is basically a train journey. Mm -hmm. And it's like an actual physical train, the train stops and on each stop there will be people mm. going onto the train and other people going off the train. And that is, I think that's another really nice metaphor for life. We are going straight and there will be people who have been there from the beginning with us. Hopefully, you know, there will be people who stay with us throughout that journey and then there will be people who hop on and then they get off. Mm -hmm. Again, for a number of different reasons. I think the other thing I, and I don't know if that came across, but from what I was saying earlier, what I wanted to say is one thing that I really learned is that you have to kind of choose which relationships you're going to nurture in your life because with life being so busy, especially if you live, you know, in a, in a, in a country where like the one where we live, um, you know, big city, trying to keep up with, with a very busy job, life is busy and it's very difficult to nurture a relationship. And I think that's the other thing that I have really learned over the last few years. There is a huge difference between saying he or she is my friend and he or she is a friend, like a real friend, mm. you know, um, because it's easy to know people by their name, know what they do, you know, the way they dress. And there is a difference between actually knowing them and being able to rely on them, trust them, be yourself with them. That's two completely different things. And I think, you know, again, as maybe as we get older, we kind of just realize that, um, some relationships are just not worth your time, your effort, and others deserve every minute, every kind of last drop of your sweat <laughs> for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a kind of trying, you need to understand or you need to think and ask yourself, you know, have those personal conversations with yourself. Is this person worth my while? Do I care to, to, to bond? And, and you need to make a conscious decision, I think, because it's, it's, um, it's not just quite about, oh yeah, we get along, so I'm gonna keep hanging around, out with them. It's more about making that decision. Again, it's kind of like getting married. You get married to someone because it's, you know, it, they seem like a cool person. They seem like you think it's the person you're gonna spend the rest of your life with, but and I got married not that early, you know, some people get married at the age of 20. I was 28 when I got married. But still, that's still very young at the end of the day. And what do I know about Juan and whether he is the perfect candidate for me for the rest of my life at the end of the day? But the point is that I know enough of him to, to decide I want to work on a relationship with you that will allow us to be a team until death does us apart, right? Mm -hmm. But it won't happen just because we got married, just because we've got pictures of people, you know, celebrating with us. 
it's a conscious effort that you need to put into into building that relationship and fortifying it and it kind of goes in the same way with friends and every other relationship in your life and you need to decide how deep you're going to go into a, a given relationship and actually be very selective mm -hmm. with the people you surround yourself with i think that was the other lesson i have learned you know there is a lot of people in my life and a lot of them you know i i like to i am a, i i think i'm a friendly person you know i like to meet new people i like to learn from new from different people from new people etc but equally there is only so much space in my heart if you like um to actually connect with with people and to actually say if tonight i needed to call somebody mm -hmm. how many of these people would actually pick up right mm -hmm. and that's what you need to decide on i think yeah. and and select no i i i think i totally agree because and i read somewhere as well that at any, any given point in time you cannot really have about five deep meaningful mm. relationships and that i mean that could include even your mother like a sister like literally anyone and if you want to have a deep enough relationship with them which is insane like that's very few people i mean just think about your own life and how much happens in yeah. it right and then ask yourself do i know another person who would share all this information with me do i know another person's life as much as i know my life mm. because that in itself you know you should if you really care about somebody you're going to ask them almost on a daily basis how are you mate you know yeah and be there for them what's interesting as well i think something i've learned is that different people are there for different purposes yeah. they serve a different purpose and I mean, I am guilty of like almost dumping the same things onto every single person in my life, thinking that they will resonate and appreciate and be of value for everything that goes on in my life. While I know now that, okay, this person is there for me to do this. And then the other person is to do this. You know, this. that's actually how I improved the relationship with our mother. Mm. You probably remember, we used to argue nonstop, me and her. Yeah. We just couldn't get along. We couldn't find a language that would... Yeah, that we could speak together. And I realized that there are certain topics that I enjoy conversing about with her and she actually enjoys as well. And we both feel comfortable in. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped bothering with the other topics I might have tried before and just concentrated on what I know actually works for us. And that way we've got a better relationship thanks to that. Mm. And then there will be somebody else I'll be asking the other things about because she isn't the right person to actually bother yeah, her yeah. about these things. Nice. I mean, for sake of time, and I, I mean, this is a, this is a podcast episode in and of itself, um, but you have suffered a lot of physical uh, pain in the last, I would say, 10 years, maybe even more now. Um, from an undiagnosed source for quite a big number of these years as well. Um, and right now, obviously, you're managing endometriosis and um, you openly talk about it to anyone. And I know that you know you're not, you're always there to share your experience and, um, and help out in any way. And I thought this could be a nice platform to kind of, I mean, right now, 
it has to be like an elevator pitch or something like what it is how do you manage it and is there any words of wisdom for anyone listening to this whether they are having similar symptoms or um, they do suffer from um, a chronic illness right do you know what really helped me just accept it and actually celebrate it and with I don't think I've ever said it out loud actually to anyone to be honest but feel proud of yourself for what you do with that horrible thing not to say any other <laughs> words there with you you know accompanying you every single place you go because it's, it's like you say it's tough it's you know I think not not just endometriosis um, but any chronic illness, you know, I remember <laughs> thinking the worst thing about this illness is that it's chronic. I'm not going to die out of it. And that's the worst thing. <laughs> you know, I would just have to live with it for the rest of my life and die of something else. <laughs> <laughs> and then I kind of just accepted it and started feeling proud of myself that I managed to do the things that I do with this thing. Mm-hmm. And if it's endometriosis, whoever you are, you're listening to this, um, that you're suffering from. What is endometriosis? Can you give us a very brief um, What is endometriosis? Nobody quite fully understands what it is, but it's extra things that are growing um, kind of around your ovaries. So it's, it's, a, it's a gynecological condition. Um, where extra tissues grow around your um, ovaries, your uterus, it could even be apparently uh, your intestines. And they have an impact on your life in a sense where um, your periods are, you know, it can, they can be ha- heavy, not necessarily, but they can be heavy uh, or heavier now that's a whole other thing actually and I'll just mention this really quickly women and to women will experience their you know menstrual pains in very different ways um so I don't like saying it's it's heavier than normal because we don't really know what normal even is anymore but it it does tend to be that it tends to be very painful you know in my case it used to be kind of so much pain that you kind of end up fainting you end up feeling just simply, you know, you, you can't do things, you can't really get on with your life because of the pain. Mm-hmm. Very kind of debilitating. Mm-hmm. Is that the yeah, word? debilitating. <laughs> um, and what else could it be? It could have impacts on your fertility. It's a lot of different things, really. Mm-hmm. Definitely worth reading about. I don't want to go into too much detail yeah. now, but definitely worth reading about. And I would say definitely worth reading about by the men of women who are experiencing this as well. Because it does have, of course, these physical effects where a woman will feel unwell, often unable to get on with her daily tasks. I remember in my worst periods, I couldn't by periods I mean periods of time mm-hmm. <laughs> <Menstruation>. <laughs> um, because that's the thing it if it's untreated it develops into something that 
accompanies you not just during your kind of menstruation period mm-hmm. but also during the other days of the day and then it ends up being there every single day of your year yeah. essentially non-stop um but it is also it, it can and i think it more often than not impacts the mental health of a woman who's experiencing it and therefore whoever lives with that woman mm-hmm. needs to understand or try to understand at least what is going on um, and especially their partners um, I think it would make sense to to try to get an understanding I think for example in my relationship with Juan it it has helped a lot that he took an interest in it mm-hmm. and that way try, you know gained a little bit of a better understanding of what I'm going through and how he could potentially help. Mm-hmm. The diet was a game changer. That explains, if we go back to the very start of this, of this whole thing, um, why I'm no longer uh, a role, <laughs> <laughs> why I am so skinny. Uh, but it honestly is a life changer, game changer. I super recommend it to anyone who's experiencing these pains, look into low inflammatory, inflammatory diet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can, there is vitamins you can take to help you, all these different things as well. So diet, what you put into your body is super, super important and it does have a huge impact and it can have incredibly positive uh, impacts. impacts. Um, and exercise, but do not do high intensity exercise. It will ruin you. You will only feel worse. Yoga, again, game changer, Pilates, all these different slow movements, stretchy movements, mm-hmm. you know, your pelvis needs a lot of taken care of. Mm-hmm. And finally, I'm laughing because I'm definitely not doing it, but avoid stress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm laughing, but at the same time, I'm continuously working on it. And I still believe it is possible. Just find the right balance for yourself because stress, again does have very negative effects on on your symptoms. And the whole idea is, yes, it's a chronic disease. It won't go away. Um, but the point is to keep it at bay, essentially. Keep it quiet. You know, shake your hands with her. I call it her <laughs> for some reason. She is there with me. She gives me the strength, like mm-hmm. I said earlier, because I feel like, you know, it's, it's cool that I am able to do the things I do with this on top of me, you know? Um, I listen to her, I definitely do, and uh, if she says today you're going to stay in bed, well, do you know what, I'm just going to stay in bed. And if she feels like, do you know what, today you can have that pizza, then I'm going to have that pizza <laughs> and I will love it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can live with it. You can, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not nothing terrible, 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 there is so much worse than that and I think that's the other thing, you know, I'm grateful to God, that's, that's, the, that's what came on me. Hopefully nothing on top of that, but um, yeah. But I think that gives a lot of hope to people that maybe feel hopeless. Absolutely yes. Lost. Absolutely yes. And I took a lot of effort to get to where I am today. And I did this. I took a conscious decision to do this after one specific visit to a hospital, just for my routine appointment, where I saw women on wheelchairs with endometriosis and I thought oh my god Mm. and I was 20 years old I thought I'm not gonna be in a wheelchair because of this Mm -hmm. there's no way you know I'm still in one piece 
Yeah. There is no way I'm going to put myself on a wheelchair on a wheelchair because of endometriosis. And that you know, that really motivated me to think about what am I gonna do not to get on that wheelchair mm. at such an early age, you know? And it's a lot of effort. You know, it's you are right, it's now been ten years. Well, maybe even more than ten years that I've been feeling the pains. Um but and a lot of these years were difficult, you know, there was again a lot of tears, a lot of pain, physical, emotional pain. Um, but you just keep pushing yourself because you, you want to feel good. And again, you know, I'm, I'm a very kind of lively person. I, I like life and I want to make the most of it. I really think, you know, it's, it's a gift that we are here and you should, you should in, you know, make the most of it as simple as that. Mm. But if there is no help, then then yeah. it's very difficult. Let's be honest. Yeah. And if you if you, all you have to deal with is endometriosis, then get out of bed <laughs> and push yourself. And it's difficult. You make decisions on a daily basis, every minute of your life. You know, for those of you who are a bit more in tune with what I'm talking about, you know more and understand what I actually am talking about. Just because of time, I'm not going to go into all the details. Mm -hmm. But read about it learn about it and live with it yeah make peace with it <laughs> that's it make yeah. a friend <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's uh i think it's important whatever condition you're suffering with is to just learn how to manage it and i think the connection with your mind and body is really important here um, and seek help mm -hmm. if you feel that maybe you're not you know as positive about this as maybe i am Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not as strong mentally to get through this. Seek help. I did a lot of this work myself because the doctors I was, I was seeing were not helping. And unfortunately, I feel that the UK is very much behind in this topic compared to a lot of European countries. France and Poland, by the way, for anyone actually interested, are really on top of the research with endometriosis. Mm. I see doctors in Poland for it now. Mm -hmm. So you need to, if you live in UK or, you know, other countries where maybe it's not as kind of developed and not as much as known about it, then you will need to put the effort and, and do the work, but do it. It's so worth your time. Mm -hmm. It might take years, mm -hmm. but again, it, it will change your life and you will actually be able to enjoy life, especially if right now you're thinking this is terrible. Mm -hmm. Right, I think we are nearing the end of this conversation, but it wouldn't be me if I didn't ask you about fashion. <laughs> and I wanted to uh, wrap up the conversation uh, with a few final thoughts from you on um, clothing and your uh, dress up routines and, uh, and maybe some tips in terms of, because I know that we've throughout all those years, even before fashion and sustainability became a trend and maybe more so a movement, um, we were always quite, I think frugal, quite uh, mindful and cautious, responsible with our purchases. So yeah, I'll give you like two minutes, okay. but you have, yeah, if you can share some wisdom. Then I'll say two things. Mm -hmm. I won't even take two minutes. Number one, if Cezanne is listening, can you please sponsor me? <laughs> um, if you don't know what Cezanne is, then you need to go on their website. <laughs> You'll thank me later. You won't thank me for your bank account. It's very French chic fashion. 
And number two, quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. Although I have become a little bit of a shopaholic over the last few years. And every time I buy something, I think of you and I feel bad. (laughs) I mean, I hear that a lot, actually. A lot of my friends, people around me, they... I don't judge, right? I don't. Because I, uh, I do strongly believe that there is a space for consuming, for consumption, uh, for being playful with fashion. Um, and I really strongly believe that. And more so even now that I am in this space, that fashion is a vehicle for expressing yourself mm-hmm. and for uh, feeling comfortable, clothed, warm, like all the practical but also emotional mm-hmm. elements. And I, um, I celebrate when someone, you know, found their style and whatnot. And I think what's important is being mindful of where things come from, yeah. what quality we, um, we buy and quantities we buy. And maybe sometimes consider, do I really have to buy it? Can I get it in another way? Mm-hmm. We sometimes share stuff, mm-hmm. right? You no longer wear something. You ask me, can I pass it down to you? Or do you want it before I go to, I don't know, a charity shop or, or I sell it on some, or bint it or other platforms. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just... So many, there's just no one answer to, to these problems in fashion. But yeah, I think quantity over quality is a really good... Uh, quality. Quality <laughs> over... Uh, quantity, no, guys, don't do that. Quality over uh, quantity is a, is, a, is a really good slogan to always kind of have at the back of your head. I mean, I love being able to say, wow, I've had this for like seven years now. Mm. And maybe one day I'll have a daughter, and if I do, I would love to pass her my clothes um yeah so definitely and i'm very lucky that i am able to spend a little bit more money on Mm -hmm. certain pieces of clothing um and i take great care of my clothes so that they last for as long as possible if needed i repair my clothes as well all these different things and i definitely do feel the difference you know in my mood even if I'm wearing something that's not comfortable and I'm not feeling myself in. I hate dressing up. I absolutely hate mm. that. I hate when I feel weird in what I'm wearing. So what I wear needs to feel like it's me. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, I have to compliment you because I think you're wearing the same trousers that you had. How, how, how old are they? Um, must be around 2015. Yeah, so that's quite a while. Eight that's years? more than 10 years. No, it was 2023. No, yeah, yeah, it's long. Yes. And I feel like you're doing such a good job styling them and just as years pass by, I still remember you wearing them with like sneakers and now you're wearing them with like very uh, elegant shoes and it's just incredible. And I think that's the, um, that's the beauty of very... Um, it doesn't even have... Well, quality as well but I think if it's something that really resonates with you then it will stay with you I think the other thing is investing in um, investing in in what influencers call timeless pieces Mm -hmm. is really important and the trousers you're talking about right now are very basic baby blue trousers but it's exactly that they go with so many different things and for so many different occasions Um, so yes a lot of my wardrobe is exactly that and then again, I love color, like the top I'm wearing right now. Yeah. Um, and I love uh, 
kind of thinking about buying clothes that I can wear both to school and at the weekend. And I'm lucky to work in a school where uh, I can dress smart casual because smart casual is kind of my favorite way of, mm. of, of uh, dressing anyway. So that means that all of these pieces I can kind of mix and match between school and, and kind of private life, if you like. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, I mean, I think we have gone through so many topics that it feels we like have, we have been here. I kind of feel sorry to whoever is going to listen to this. <laughs> and well done if you reached this point. No, I, yeah, congratulations. But and no, thank I, you if you find that, that interesting. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting. I mean, on a personal level, I think it was great to walk through down the memory lanes and, uh, and learn and cover new things about you and, my, and myself as well in, in the process and, and learn from you from all those tragedies that, <laughs> that you described. But, but no. we're still here smiling, which is the most important thing. Thank you for the questions yeah. because I didn't know any of them in advance um, and they did take me by surprise and it was a very interesting conversation. Well, no, thank you for joining.